entering the Freedom Hut. Preparations underway for what is believed to be a pandemic that will hit in the next two weeks. We'll get into everything that's going on, including whether or not the primary will actually happen for the Democrats today in Ohio. A couple of other states in the mix as well. And also, whatever happened to the federal government's case from the DOJ against the Russian troll farms? I've got an update for you on that and much more coming up. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. It seems to me that if we do a really good job, uh, we'll not only hold the death down to a a level that is uh, much lower than the other way, had we not done a good job, Uh, but people are talking about July August, something like that. So it could be right in that period of time where it, I say wash, it washes through. Other people don't like that term, but where it washes through. So, so is this the new normal until height of the summer? Uh, we'll see what happens, but they think uh, August could be July, could be longer than that. But I've asked that question many, many times. If in two weeks, uh, miraculously, everything is fine, I'll reopen every school in New York in two weeks. That's what we're planning. We will have specific guidelines that we announced this afternoon. Welcome to the Buck Saxon Show, everybody. Continuing with our Freedom Hut in the time of the coronavirus, Wuhan virus pandemic trying to get a sense of how long this is going to last, what preparations we should make. As I've been saying, I'm giving it the 15 days that the CDC is asking for. And you had really, I think, in that and those two sound bites, one was, of course, Donald Trump. The other was the governor of New York, uh, Governor Cuomo. The full scope of what we're realistically facing, it could be that within a couple of weeks, it seems like this is largely under control, though he did describe that as a miracle. It could also be that we are making these uh, provisions that we're taking all these very drastic, very radical steps all the way into the summer. I had been thinking June. The president said July, if we do a good job. Nobody really knows at this point. Everybody is very, very concerned. And as we enter this phase where we're really going to be dealing with this, we all find ourselves thinking about what's going to come next. Never before in the modern history of the United States or when we've had a post-World War II modern economy have we dealt with anything like this. We've never had a situation where we voluntarily decide to just stop doing a whole lot of stuff, stop making things, Stop opening stores. Economic activity. I mean, economics is really just a system for human decision making in the commercial in the commercial realm. That's what economic that's what economics are. It is activity by definition, right? You do not have inactivity as something that everyone's concerned with. So we're entering a phase here, unlike anything else we've ever seen before. And it's it's tough out there. I mean, I'm coming to you from New York City. I know a lot of you are in places around the country where there are far fewer or, or in some cases, maybe your county has zero cases of this so far. 
Uh, so I'm bringing you the perspective of somebody who's in the place that is expected to be in aggregate numbers hit the hardest and have perhaps the greatest disruption of day-to-day life. So just remember that as we're going through this, you know, sometimes different areas of the country talk about disaster preparedness. And if they're places that are frequently hit by hurricanes or if they're places that are often subject to tornadoes, they have a very different view on this than or on that than people that have never dealt with right earthquakes in california have a very different resonance than earthquakes in in maine i don't know i don't think maine's been hit by a bad earthquake in a long time i could be wrong so we have a bunch of things to get to today uh including why the cdc failed us in the early phase of this because you know all the testing all the testing delays you know what that was federal bureaucracy and regulations Tell you about that. Also, the DOJ decided the Mueller team, the prosecutors from the DOJ assigned to the Mueller team, they decided to dump during the noise, I call it, the whole case of Russian troll farmers. Remember, they were going to bring this federal indictment and then Russian counsel actually showed up, which surprised them because this was the whole interference in the election, the, the huge scheme by the Russians and, you know, over a dozen indictments, I think it was, of Russians who were involved in this in Russia. They just dropped the whole thing right now. Does anyone think that that was an accident? Does anyone think that they dropped this for any reason right now, other than they know that no one's really going to care? We'll spend a bit of time on that. And then also you have Tom Brady, top of the Drudge Report right now. Big story. Tom Brady is not going to go back to the Patriots. He's going to go play for someone else. This is just all of us, and I get this. This is all of us, and producer Mark can, can weigh in on, on the reality of this as somebody who knows more about Tom Brady than me. Uh, we just want some story to talk about because we don't have sports now, and we can't go to movies, and we can't go to parties, and we can't go to Disney World, and we can't. So we just want something else to talk about. And so this Tom Brady decision, that would usually be a mostly ESPN story or you know the sport net, sports networks out there, it's getting a lot more focused than it usually would because just something other than Corona. And to that end, my friends, I, I want to do a good job here of balancing out how much we talk about coronavirus. I, but Wuhan virus, I'm sorry. See, it's, I've heard so much coronavirus that now it just it seeps into my mind. But I want to make sure that we discuss other things, too. I, I want to tell you everything you need to know about this at the federal level from government action, where I think this is all heading. And uh, that's necessary at this point. But also, I know you guys are my lifeline. You are my the people that you are my end run on social distancing. I don't keep my distance from any of you. I get to talk to all of you every day. So that really is more meaningful in some ways now than it's ever been before. I don't see anybody else. I don't see my family. I don't see my friends. Uh, I do have my parents French bulldog with me Tallulah who is very cute, but very French. She's very stubborn. It's not always easy to deal with. She makes demands. But that's it. I mean, here in New York City, we're being told essentially that we should act as if we're all in quarantine. We should act as if we have come into contact with this, even if we have no specific reason to think that that has happened. And so that 
is really changing the city pretty dramatically. I called a couple of restaurants last night because I wanted to do what I had said I was, or at least I've said it, um, I think I said it on, on WOR. I called a couple of restaurants last night and wanted to get a, um, I, I wanted to get a gift certificate so that I could tell them, hey guys, I'm going to, you know, here's, here's some money now. Here's a hundred bucks, 150 bucks, whatever it is. And I'm not going to use this again, and I'm not going to use this rather until at least July, maybe September. <clears throat> but smaller places, you know, the corporate places may be able to hold out a bit longer. You know, I think I don't think Chipotle is going out of business anytime soon, right? But places that are sole proprietors, uh, sole proprietorships, where they're owned by one person or by a family, uh, those places have very high rents here in New York. I tried to call some last night, already closed not even staying open for this because if they don't have a robust delivery business, it's very hard to very hard to weather this storm. And, you know, there's there's also this this back and forth that you're going to see between wonderful, kind, inspiring stories. You know, the, right now there's all this circulating on social media of people who are in Italy uh, in, in, in Rome, in Milan, you know, people are out on their balconies because in Italy, this is very, I'm sure if you've never been, you, or if you've ever been, you know what I'm talking about. And they're singing. Whole neighborhoods are going out to their windows and singing together. And this is, this is uh, the, the heartwarming. This makes you feel like, okay, we're going to be all right. But then there's the other side of this too. Right now, we're already seeing the panic buying. We're seeing people hoarding. People are hoarding N95 masks. They're hoarding toilet paper, red meat, pasta, there are things, eggs. These are things that people are terrified they're not going to have. And what happens if we do start to have real economic dislocation from this? What ha- I mean, we're already going to suffer pain, but I mean in our food supply. What happens if all of a sudden we're not? Now, farmers say they're going to work, and God bless our farmers. They're not shutting down for coronavirus no matter what. But in the delivery system, especially for very crowded urban areas, is a more precarious thing than a lot of people realize. It, you know, most major grocery stores get a series of deliveries throughout the day. And that's how they stay. That's how those shelves stay stocked. And that's how you've got the stuff you want. If we have enough of a problem here and the quarantine becomes stringent enough and people need to stay home to take care of their kids, you know, what happens if our truck drivers have got to stay home because, you know, they've got kids or they've got a family member they're worried about. They've got things they've got to do, too. We don't know how this is going to play out in that regard. So, look, I'm not gloom and doom here, folks. We're going to be all right, team. We're going to get through it every day. I got to say that it's important for me to be able to say it, for me to hear myself saying it. But also, I think it's important that we keep that in mind as we look at all the different policies and everything that's going on right now. This is the most uncertain moment in some ways, at least in terms of the disease spread. This is where we have to just sit and wait. <clears throat> it reminds me a little bit about how uh, there's going to be, you know, th- th- there's going to be some days ahead that are, are like the first days of a battle. That's what it's going to feel like, because there's going to be numbers that come in, um, assuming that the projections are correct. I mean, I, I know the New York projections very well because it's really done being done state by state. And you're also seeing states have a larger role in this. You know, states got involved after 9-11 with counterterrorism fusion centers and 
on this, on quarantine, state and local governments are very much on the front line and doing things that matter, whether they're good things or bad things. They're doing things that really do affect your life. And that's why. So I'm, I'm focused on New York because I'm in New York. I'm also seeing what's going on in other states as much as I can. But here they're seeing about a 20 percent hospitalization rate. About 20% of the people that have been confirmed to have coronavirus. Now, that doesn't mean that 20% of people are going to get hospitalized, but 20% of the people who took a test because they had the symptoms that made them think they have coronavirus, which is probably a small fraction of those who actually have Wuhan virus, sorry, actually gotten this. Uh, But if you have a 20% hospitalization rate just based on the established infection number and the rate that it's going up right now, there are very real concerns that you're just going to have people that are going to emergency rooms and they just don't have. They literally physically do not have the ventilators necessary to keep these people alive. That's that's the nightmare scenario. That's what they keep talking about, flattening out the curve. And we're all becoming familiar with this verbiage now, things we'd never even heard of before, flattening out the curve being one of them. We all know more about disease than I think we've ever known before. I read about it every day, every night. You know, I'm reading books on it. I'm reading news articles, uh, you know, feverishly probably the wrong word to use but furiously there we go but we're all trying to figure out as much as we can about how this is going to play out trump yesterday said it was bad those of you and and i respect that you know you we have differing opinions on a whole host of things but those of you who last week were writing me to say buck it's not going to be that big a deal i hope you're right you could be right but we can't take the risk of not thinking it's a big deal for at least the next couple of weeks because the way that this played out in Italy is something we have to avoid here because it'll play out on a much larger. We have a population that's five times plus the size of Italy. It'll play out on a scale here that will be jaw dropping and 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 horrifying. So I'm I'm willing to sacrifice two weeks of economic activity so that we don't have 50,000 dead in a month from this disease. I think that that's. By the way, we're going to start having some very difficult societal conversations, social conversations, you know, greater society uh, conversations about what really the trade-offs that we're willing to make are. No one's going there quite yet, but we do lose. And I know everyone yells at everyone for bringing up the flu, but it's just that's our experience with what is really seasonal and endemic disease, endemic within the people, disease that keeps popping up in the same population, Right. Pandemic, all the people. Epidemic, on the people. All important things to know these days. All come from ancient Greece. Why from ancient Greece? Well, Hippocrates was the first one who wrote about what we think was either a flu or it might have been typhoid. Can't really tell. Or a combination of both. But that's when we first had these terms, pandemic and epidemic. Uh, So it stretches back to, I think, the 4th or 5th century BC. So, my friends... We are going to work through all this again together today, as we always do. It is an honor that you come to me at this time. Give me your time. Lend me your ears. I do appreciate it. You are my, you are my social life. You know, there's all this social distancing right now. Team Buck, you guys are it for me. I mean, I can call people and FaceTime people, but this actually gives me the feeling of connection to the people in this country, to my fellow Americans that I care about. So that's one thing that I'm deeply grateful for. And as you can see, we're, we're all set up. So as long as the as long as the Internet and the electricity stays on, this show stays on. So we're going to be good to go. Um, I'm going to go through some of what was said in a press conference this morning 
by uh, the the president as well as a press conference by Cuomo that I thought was pretty good. And we'll get into some other things. I'll tell you about this Russian troll farm story, which I think is really, really interesting. Uh, Also, why there's been a delay in testing. So we've got a jam packed show, no doubt about it, as we always do. And I may, although only you only see this if you watch on uh, on Pluto TV, Channel 248, the first I may have a special guest join me for roll call today. We'll see. You might you might be able to hear her little snorts and her her little sneezes because she does sneeze sometimes. But we'll see about that. I've got plans. Stay with me. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Uh, There will be no more uh, gatherings of 50 plus people. So if you were hoping to plan a graduation party, you can't do it in the state of New York. You can't go do it in the state of New Jersey and you can't do it in the state of Connecticut. Uh, Casinos, we all have casinos. If I close my casinos, would New Jersey keep their casinos open? We're going to have the same problem. All casinos will be closed effective 8 p.m. tonight, and they will stay closed until further notice. On all these closings, they are all till until further notice, and hopefully I can coordinate with the other governors so we can have the same opening period just the way we had the same closing period. Shutting down businesses, shutting down gatherings. Uh, This is a usage of state power, not big S state, but of the 50 states, the likes of which I've never seen before. And I don't know what what really your modern analogous situation would be. They're telling businesses that they just can't open. They're telling people they can't come together. Freedom of assembly, not so much. There are going to be constitutional questions ahead. That is for sure, especially if this drags out for months, which most people expect it to. That doesn't mean it will happen. But those are some of the extreme measures we're talking about here. There are more extreme measures that are probably coming. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We need you right now at the front, and the front is in the places where the coronavirus epidemic is worse. On a personal note, I want to ask you how you're coping. Um, You went to the gym yesterday, and Twitter lost its mind. I don't get it, but we'll move on with our lives. The gyms are all closed now, Allison. Yes, I know that the gyms are closed. Is there any sense that you were late personally to get your arms around what the the sacrifices required? No, everyone is going to have to make sacrifice, but as our health commissioner said yesterday, people still in new ways are going to have to get exercise. Uh, Whatever scenario, we're going to tell people how to stay healthy. It it may be a walk, it may be a jog, but obviously socially distanced until and unless we get to the point of literally ordering everyone indoors. So this is going in stages. Somehow people are going to have to stay healthy and sane through this, and it's going to take a lot of improvisation for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. The gym in my building, I live in a very large uh, residential tower in New York City. There's a lot of them here. Gym in my building is closed. I'm wondering if maybe I can sneak in and borrow some free weights because I went on to Amazon. Guess what? You can't get on Amazon right now at all. Free weights. Can't get them delivered to you. Apparently other people had the same idea I did. Get a couple of barbells. If you got a set of decent barbells at home, you're pretty much good with YouTube 
teach yourself some straightforward exercises, do some compounds, uh, compound lifts with dumbbells, you're good to go. Can't get dumbbells, though, so I guess I'm going to have to start doing some at-home yoga, homage to the sun, or I don't know. I'll figure something out. Push-ups. A lot of push-ups coming my way, I think. Or I'm just going to order a lot of Chinese food until this whole thing passes and not worry about the dad bod coming on fast just in time for summer. But no, seriously, there was... uh, there's there's going to be a change in people's lifestyles and, and what they're used to that will require quite a bit of adjustment. This is not something that we've dealt with before. This is not something that anybody has any experience with. And I know for a lot of people, their they're daily, whatever it is, going if it's going to their local coffee shop, if it's going to the gym every morning, if you know, there's any number of things, you know, going to their favorite diner. The, these are habits that ground us, uh, that, that bring us into a sense of, of normalcy and routine. And these are very powerful things. Psychologically, there's a lot of power in them. So we're going to have to get ready for this. But you notice, and, you know, de Blasio, of, of course, got a little bit of, uh, got a little bit of criticism there for, well, de Blasio got criticism for being de Blasio, where he's like, everybody can't go to the gym, but I'm going to go to the gym one last time because I like the YMCA. De Blasio's a, He's a, he's a two minutes on the elliptical guy and then does lots of dynamic stretching. I'm sure that's how he rolls. So uh, de Blasio. Um, oh, the president has authorized the deferment of $300 billion of IRS payments. This is one thing. I, I just saw this. Uh, this is one thing that we, we, by the way, need to have happen. All right. The government, if we all are waiting to get paid and we all have to worry about this, we, the American people, the government can say everybody gets another 60 days before their checks are due into the IRS. You know, just put it just put it on our twenty two trillion dollar tab for now and then everybody can can pay it off later. I mean, I, I've been spending the last couple of weeks trying to pull together my taxes because I'm in the media and, you know, I do private contractor stuff and, uh, and all over the place. And I'm just like, this is ridiculous. This is what I got to be focused on right now. I got to send them a check every quarter as it is. And now I have to worry about this deadline. It's absurd. So hopefully uh, that will work. By the way, the stimulus plan, they keep talking about stimulus. The only stimulus that's going to have any effect is going to be the stimulus of giving people money to get through the crisis. You're going to see policy disputes arise here. There's there's some of this is going to bring us all together and some of this is going to pull us apart. There will be policy disputes that are sharper than what we've seen in a long time because this is real. People are going to be in danger of losing their homes if they fall behind on their mortgage. I mean, how many Americans, if especially if they work in the service economy and they have no income coming in, how many Americans can go six months without any income? 50% of Americans, according to the polls, would have trouble meeting a $500 emergency obligation. I know I've been an American as an adult working for years and years who would have had trouble, at least with cash in the bank. I mean, yeah, I could have maybe put it on a, on a credit card or run up some kind of a debt. But you know, I, I've, I've gone through life paycheck to paycheck. I know what that's like. It's not fun. It's not easy. And really, there are two kinds of people in America in a lot of ways. Those of us who have lived paycheck to paycheck and understand what that's like, understand those stresses. And as I always tell you, there are people that know what it is to show up to a job where they are not appreciated, where no one really cares that they're there, where they could be fired at a moment's notice and they have to make it work. And there are other people that just kind of, you know, get to do whatever they want. And 
Mumsy and Daddy will take care of it, or Mumsy and Daddy's money. I mean, there's a lot of that with millennials, too, trust me. Well, there's a lot of that with, I guess, every generation in different ways. But uh, the economic packages, we'll talk about what they're trying to do. One of the big concerns for the market, and I mean, the Dow went down, what, 3,000 points yesterday. A big concern of the market is that the Fed has done what it can do, and everyone thinks, oh, okay, well, the Fed, you know, the, the cavalry is here. Do, 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 do. You know, and the Fed rides in and saves the day. Mm-mm. Doesn't matter how cheap you make money if people can't spend it because they can't go anywhere because they can't do anything. It doesn't matter how, how much you lower the borrowing cost if people aren't borrowing because there's nothing to do with the money if you gave it to them. They don't want to do it. We have stopped activity. Economics is activity. That is what this is all about. We have essentially shut down the U.S. economy. I mean, short of hyperinflation or the, you know, the destruction of the U.S. currency, which is a true nightmare scenario, which, by the way, is something people talk about as a possibility. Short of that, I mean, this is one of the scarier economic situations we could be in where people just aren't doing stuff. You know, people aren't doing stuff. And it also reminds me of, of how much we are all at the end of this going to owe such a debt of gratitude to the people who make and deliver food. The uh, we all we think of and we can never give enough respect and love to cops, first responders, firemen. I mean, but they, everyone knows about their heroics. We don't always appreciate it as much as we should. Everyone knows what they're doing for us day to day, although we do need to be reminded of that. But there are other people here. You know, there are people who are doing really, really critical stuff to keep our lives from feeling like, quite honestly, they are in some state of just complete disrepair and keep our lives from feeling like they are they're falling apart. So I think that is something that we should all remember, too, that there are people out there who are doing things for us that are not getting, you know, they're not getting the kind of praise the the kind of uh kudos that many other folks do and one example of this is i think this guy was out in california but this is true anywhere across the country and he's a he goes by the name jester i don't know if that's his real name it's a cool name obviously it reminds me of the guy from top gun but here's what he wrote and i don't want you to remember this because you know i've got there are people who live in a very large building in New York with you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of uh, neighbors. We're all very closely packed in here. And there are individuals who are showing up every day and making sure that this building, you know, that the hot water is on, that the electricity is what it should be, that, you know, the, there are people who are just making sure those goods and services for home life support continue on. And there are people who are picking up the trash and, and making sure that, some normalcy, and not just normalcy, but things that we really need. I mean, imagine if, if you know, if people just said, you know what, it's not worth it. I, I don't care about my minimum wage job bagging groceries anymore. I'm, I'm not going to, we're not going to keep the grocery store open. Sorry. Not now, now what do we do? I'm going to try to figure out how to buy direct from, if some of you can buy direct from the farmer, you're probably, you probably are the farmer or you're down the road from him. But a lot of people in the major cities rely on, uh, rely on stores to be able to get stuff for us, right? I mean, you see these empty shelves, and it does bring some pretty scary thoughts to mind. What happens when there's just not enough to go around? What happens when all of a sudden the economics uh, affect our ability to get what we need to get day to day? 
So this is this guy, Jester, though. And I wanted to read this to you. This is just uh, on Twitter, but it's gone absolutely mega viral as it should. And here's what he wrote about this. I'm a garbage man. I can't work from home. My job is an essential city service that must get done. It's a tough job from getting up pre-dawn to the physical toll it takes on my body to the monotonous nature of the job. At times, it's hard to keep on going. Right now, though, I am feeling a sense of extra pride and purpose as I do my work. I see the people, my people of my city, peeking out their windows at me. They're scared. We're scared. But we're resilient. Us garbage men are going to keep collecting the garbage. Doctors and nurses are going to keep doctoring and nursing. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it be okay. I love my city. I love my country. Be good to each other, and we'll get through this. He's a garbage man, and he knows that we need him now more than ever. And that goes for those of you listening to this who are truck drivers making sure that we get milk and eggs to the store. Thank you very much for that. I really do appreciate it. It goes for those who are still delivering mail or work for UPS or work for the Postal Service. It it goes for those who work for the airlines who are going through a terrible time right now. But, my friends, we all need those airlines to still be around. We can't have all the airlines just shut down and completely run out of all operating expenses and not be there when this thing passes. It's essential not just for our vacations, for business, for commerce. So people are carrying a heavy load right now. And more than ever, anything you can do to show support and more importantly, in some ways, well, if you can, to help in some regard, you know, now now is the opportunity. Now is the time for some of these um, ultra powerful, wealthy corporations, you know, the Googles, the Facebooks, the Amazons. Amazon, I saw, just said they're going to they're going to surge up and hire 100,000 people for their warehouses and their delivery services because they know, you know what people really want right now? Amazon delivery. And they're also going to that people need jobs. So this is everybody has to get involved in some way to help us get through this. Everyone has a role to play. Um, and, you know, garbage men do not get the credit and they do not get the from a lot of people. I think the respect that they are due for making sure that our cities are, are clean, that that they are sanitary and that they're places you want to live in. And this is true of suburban neighborhoods and rural neighbor neighborhoods, too, unless you take the garbage to the dump yourself, but then you don't have garbage men. They're doing a critical job. They continue to do that job, even while everyone else is scared, while their kids are probably at home now, not in school, you know, while, they're, while their wives are worried about what's going on. They're putting themselves out there, and they're dealing with refuse. They're dealing with, you know, the possibility of, of contamination and, and infection themselves. But God bless them. They're, they're keeping our city from just teeming with steaming trash. And, you know, the, we get another pandemic unless we, have the gar- unless we have garbage men doing their job. So it's very, very important. And we thank them and, and everybody else who's doing the necessary work here. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So I meant to get to this, but I got sidetracked by the economics and by the announcement of uh, where we are right now and and what the administration's package is to try to help deal with the economic pain. De Blasio, before he was asked by CNN about his decision to make one last trip to the gym, um, de Blasio also mentioned 
the possibility of shelter in place as a uh, as an order. Um, play clip 19. Last night, um, ordered a shelter-in-place edict for the whole Bay Area. Right. Would New York consider something? We're like that? absolutely considering that. I mean, right now we have taken a series of steps uh, to reduce the number of people who are circulating around, get people a telecommute, obviously social distancing, closing the schools, which was particularly painful, closing the bars and restaurants. But we're going to look at all other options, and it could get to that for sure. It could get that for the whole country. Could get to that for the whole country, he says shelter in place do you know what's going on in italy right now i've told you about the shortages of doctors icu uh, icu beds ventilators I, we've discussed that something else that's going on in italy though in lombardy milan you know northern northern italian uh, cities and, and provinces if you need to leave your house you have to go online and fill out a permission form and you have to carry that permission form with you. If you want to go outside, if you want to go anywhere, you can do it for the grocery store, for the pharmacy. It's basically it. That's where we are right now in Italy. That's already happening. Shelter in place in New York City would mean everyone is on lockdown. Everyone has to stay in their own space and can only leave for essential goods and services. This is concerning. This is concerning, and, and beyond that, I have to say, this isn't going to last, folks. At some point, there will be a revolt against all these orders. At some point, you'll have too many servers at restaurants, too many bartenders, too many airline employees, too many, you know, I mean, I can't even name all, you know, uh, arena employees I and mean, all these different things that are shut down. Too many people saying, my life is being destroyed maybe I just maybe we want to take the risk I'm not saying this is the path or this is the thing to do I am just saying I believe that we will rapidly unless we see this horrific surge of uh, very serious cases remember India which has a billion people 125 confirmed cases of coronavirus and they wouldn't be able to hide it if it got into the broader population because they would have they'd have a lot of dead people very quickly. India only has 125 cases. A billion people in India. What's going on there? So we don't have, we don't have an, an endless tolerance for these rules and regulations. And one thing that I think is going to happen is that the government is going to continue to insist that we listen to them on these dictates and that they, if they tell us, for example, shelter in place, what happens in the government says shelter in place? And I'm saying, no. My, I'm, I'm going to go see my girlfriend. I'm going to live my life. Sorry. What happens when the government starts sending in, as they already are in New York, the NYPD to arrest people, first a summons, but then they can arrest them for gatherings of more than, uh, more than 50? And I think now they're going to make it gatherings of more than 10 as the CDC guidance. What happens when people say, I will not comply? We're heading for a very combustible period unless the government really gets this stuff right and is providing a lot more help than it is hindrance in dealing with this. And we're not sure which side of it they're going to they're going to fall on quite yet. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
fundamentals of the economy are strong. In fact, you know, we've had so many business groups, and they'll tell you, you know, through February, January, February, the economy was rising. And the Atlanta Fed GDP now is showing 3% or 3.1%. We don't have the March data in yet. Uh, yes, I believe that. And I, and I think, again, prior policies on ta low taxes and regulations and trade and oil and energy have helped enormously. I believe this is a, a short-term problem. I believe it's a matter of weeks and months. It is not a matter of years. And uh, regarding the president, I was with him this morning. Uh, we had our G7 uh, teleconference meeting. Uh, you haven't asked me about that, but um, uh, he was very calm about the market. And um, it is what it is. We think it's going to get better, but that's, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Keep telling you, nobody knows. They're doing the best they can, but uncharted territory here. No question about it. We're in a whole different situation than we've ever been in before. And the usual tools, I mean, the government, you know, the Fed and these other monetary policy instruments that we have, and the Fed's the big one. I mean, the Fed fired its bazooka, and coronavirus was kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to do anything with that one. So... Now what happens? Well, it looks like they're actually talking about the possibility of uh, putting cash into Americans' pockets very quickly. My friends, this is kind of like the freedom dividend that Andrew Yang talked about, except it's not a, this is an extreme measure. I understand that, but people are talking about it. Mnuchin's, Mnuchin's a smart guy. He's one person who even, even anti-Trump uh, people in the world of finance that I've talked to, people that hate Trump, they say, well, M Mnuchin, he's a smart dude. He understands. He understands government. Uh, oh, well, he understands finance, and he understands how the government plays a role in the financial markets. And so and Mnuchin said, look, maybe, maybe we've got to get money into people's hands, you know, $1,000, but it's going to be a lot of money. It's going to be for a lot of people. How do you distribute that? What do you do for people who don't have bank accounts? What do you do for people who don't have ID? They're going to show up and say, give me my check for $1,000 for this week. It's not just going to be for people that are already on welfare rolls or it's going to be for everybody. Right? It's going to be for a lot of really hardworking people that, you know, they didn't do anything wrong. The fact that restaurants are shutting down, the fact that we're being told that we can't do any economic activity right now, that's not the fault of anybody, uh, anybody, period. It's not anyone's fault right now. I mean, they're going to say it's Trump's fault. And notice again today, and I, this sometimes I say, I say things, team, more as a reminder to myself on the show than even me trying to express something necessary for all of you to hear, but... I try to keep it as nonpartisan as I can for as long as I can on this show. I do my best because I think it's more important right now that we focus on what's happening and we focus on how to prevent a mass casualty incident. But also, we're going to have to start looking at this like how do we balance keeping our economy alive? If the economy completely collapses, I mean, if, if we go through the floor on this thing, we're going to have all kinds of problems apart from this virus. You know, I don't like to take this this position or I'm not saying that this means, oh, we shouldn't do the things we're doing. I'm advocating we got to give the government 15 days. But if we go through 15 days and you've got. You know, still fewer casualties than you would see in a tough flu season. I'm not saying this will happen. I'm not making any predictions. I'm just pointing out the decision tree, the decision pathways that we'll face. If you go through two weeks of this and everyone's feeling the economic pain and also the stir craziness, 
that's going to start setting in, right? We can't live our normal lives. Our lives are being put on pause by this. I'll talk to you about things we can do in quarantine later that, you know, in some ways, this is a weird way to think about it, but maybe take advantage of the time that you have to yourself at home without the obligations of, of normal life. That'll come later on in the show. So we talk about, like, what video games we should play, what movies we should watch. But if they're not, uh, people are going to get to a point where they say, I'm not going to live my life this way with the government telling me that we can't do anything anymore because I think that this isn't worth it. That we just have to deal with the reality that, like, yeah, some people are going to get sick, some people are going to die, that's where we are. That mentality will become widespread quickly. And the government's going to have to be very nimble about saying, all right, look, our risk tolerance has changed. Now, if we go two weeks from now and you have and we're going to know we're going to see we have instant communication all over social media, never mind even just the normal media. We're all going to be able to find out because this stuff will all go viral. You know, if all of a sudden grandma and grandpa are waiting in an emergency room for 12 hours when they can barely breathe and then they're being told there's no ventilator for them at a major metropolitan hospital or a major regional hospital, people are going to say, okay, we got to keep the social distancing thing going a long time. And, you know, the economic fallout from this is something that we probably have to deal with. But if that's not the case, and if it feels like this is, you're going to have people that push back against the government. And this is going to, this is very, uh, this is combustible. It is fissile. It is, uh, uh, we're on, on the edge here a little bit more than I think a lot of people realize. So, okay, giving people money, $1,000, will that do anything? One-off, $1,000? Not, not if this is going to last 60 to 90 days. There's, there's no one in America for whom $1,000 over the next, if they have no income, $1,000 over the next 60 to 90 days means they can meet all their obligations. It's just not, it's not possible. So it would have to be a lot more money than that, and it means we're going to run up that federal credit card there are people who are going to say, you know, this is why we shouldn't be running up deficits. And they're right. How many times have I told you on the show? I know nobody wants to hear this. I know nobody. By the way, I, I did. I thought about this yesterday. Not that this is like a pat my pat myself on the back situation, because really, who cares? But I remember I was asked in roll call, I think, and we could track it down because we have transcripts of the show. I think it was maybe in, you know, uh, the last quarter of last year, what really worries me? And I was like, climate change is for idiots. Pandemic disease is a really big problem. This has been there. Those of us who pay attention to actual science know this has been a, this has been a risk that we are running as a society for a long time. But all right. So now we, we get back to what we do about this, uh, what the monetary moves will be by the government. Um, they really should. I mean, Tucker Carlson talked about this last night on his show. And you, you got to give Tucker credit. I do. Everyone knows I like Tucker's show. I also think I, I appreciate that they have me on. But, but also, I think it's just a really good show. Uh, I think that Tucker is a free thinker who does a lot of really important and insightful, uh, particularly with his monologues, important and insightful things. Uh, and he's been saying, take it seriously, guys. Take it seriously. This is real. Get ready for it. Some other very big voices in conservative media have been a little too dismissive. There's a component of this that has to be addressed and maybe more, maybe something I can address more later where we're looking at why do people not trust the media? Because the media is not trustworthy. So when, when a liar, when someone who is dishonest lies about their intentions, lies about their motivations, and you've caught them over and over and over again, this is the media cries wolf scenario that some of us had been worrying about. 
Like, I, I do wish that there was a cable news network out there that was completely neutral, that we really could believe was neutral, or that was just nonpartisan. That's a better way of saying it. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. You have Fox as a, as a counterbalance to the left-wing insanity, but Fox is mostly in primetime opinion shows. Uh, there are some neutral journalist shows on there that do a very good job of being fair to the facts, but uh, I digress. Okay. Um, the economics of this are going to get very, very tricky. Uh, what could turn this whole thing around? A vaccine, a cure? I'm very uh, pessimistic about this. I'm just going to tell you. I don't. There's a lot of media coverage of this right now. I'll tell you why. Here's what Trump said yesterday about where we are with the vaccine. Play three. I'm also pleased to report today that a vaccine candidate has begun the phase one clinical trial. This is one of the fastest vaccine development launches in history. Not even close. We're also racing to develop antiviral therapies and other treatments. And we've had some promising results, early results, but promising to reduce the severity and the duration of the the symptoms. And I have to say that uh, our government is prepared to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes we're doing now therapeutics as they're called essentially treatments pharma, uh, pharmacological treatments for this virus that's the more likely near-term game changer we could have if you can just create something that slows down the disease progression enough that you don't need people put on ventilators so that they have something that is artificially breathing for them, which is what the big problem is right now with COVID-19, Wuhan virus. Um, That would be a game changer. Vaccine, 12 to 18 months out. My friends, if we're on lockdown for the next 12 to 18 months, we're not going to have an economy. I mean, we, we, we can't do that. So it would be nice, but also keep in mind that maybe the vaccine is not, maybe the vaccines I have are not that effective. I'm also a believer in, we should put out a bounty because it's going to be the private sector. It's going to be the private sector that figures out what the cure for this will be. Um, I mean, Dr. Fauci is out there saying, look, we're moving very fast on the vaccine. That's encouraging. But uh, I don't think anybody wants to be told to shelter in place for the next 12 months. Play six. The vaccine candidate that was given the first injections for the first person took place today. You might recall when we first started, I said it would be two to three months. And if we did that, that would be the fastest we've ever gone from obtaining the sequence to being able to do a phase one trial. This has been now 65 days, which I believe is the record. Uh, What it is, it's a trial of 45 normal individuals between the ages of 18 and 55. The trial is taking place in C. Seattle. There will be two uh, injections, one at zero day, first one, then 28 days. There will be three separate doses, 25 milligrams, 100 milligrams, 250 milligrams, and the individuals will be followed for one year, both for safety and whether it induces the kind of response that we predict would be protective. And that's exactly what I've been telling this group over and over again. So it's happened. The first injection was today. That's excellent, except we're 12 to 18 months away from you being able to walk into your local doctor's office or drugstore and get something in your arm that realistically will prevent you from getting this disease. So it's good information to have, but it's not going to change the reality of right now. And even President Trump is saying 
the economic, you know, we have two major areas of vulnerability, the the population uh, getting infected with this, right? Just the pandemic nature or the pandemic that we're going through. And then we also have the economic fallout. And these two things are very obviously intimately related, but they're also separate issues and have to be dealt with with not not exactly the same uh, policies and, and proposals. But Trump, who is usually very upbeat, and I appreciate that he's upbeat, but I'd also say for people that are going to start, you're going to hear a lot of trashing of Trump. He didn't, and you know, I actually dealt with this a little bit. I've mentioned this many times, the Bill Maher show, before anything, before we even knew what was going on, they're saying Trump is awful, he's an idiot, he doesn't care about people dying, which is just Trump derangement lunacy. But we're going to see European governments get crushed by this. It's going to be really bad for them. Are they all incompetent too? Are they all a bunch of, you know, trust fund, porn star dating, you know, evil Russia collusion trader? I mean, all this nonsense they say about Trump. Is it true about all these other world governments too? No, I mean, this is the, this is the, the unseen challenge that has come for this administration, the unforeseeable challenge. Uh, but Trump realizes that for the economy, this is a problem. Play clip 10. Stock market took another hit today. Is the U.S. economy heading into a recession? Well, it may be. We're not thinking in terms of recession. We're thinking in terms of the virus. Once we stop, I think there's a tremendous pent-up demand, both in terms of the stock market and in terms of the economy. And once this goes away, once it uh, goes through and we're done with it, I think you're going to see a tremendous, a tremendous surge. That's going to be a national celebration. I mean, it's going to be, I think... It'll be like the those photos you see, you know, from Times Square and, you know, sailors coming home and everything from right after World War Two. It won't be on quite that same scale, perhaps, but it's going to be a little reminiscent of that. We're going to have people that just feel like the 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 exultation. Anyway, it'll be there, but we're not there yet. So I don't want to get too ahead of it. You know, the the celebratory margarita that producer Mark and I are going to have on the streets of Tribeca when this thing passes. It's months away maybe six months away. So we have to keep an eye on what's going on here. Um, the fact that our, our leadership, some of them seem to take this seriously. And as I've been saying, that's a good thing. Uh, that's what I expect. And irrespective of party, I plan to do my part to try to bring attention to those who are making the right moves and aren't viewing this as just a political football to throw around. Here's what uh, Governor Cuomo said about President Trump and Vice President Pence. Play seven. Uh, we have had a phenomenal increase in testing. We've been able to use our laboratories. Uh, our emergency management team has done a very good job of reaching out to our state labs, getting them on track, getting them coordinated. Uh, our testing numbers are way up, as you'll see. Uh, next week, uh, by the end of this week, we think we're going to be up to about 7,000 tests per day which is an exponential increase of what we have done. I made this suggestion to the vice president. I made it to the president. Uh, I often tell you when um, I am uh, unhappy with the federal response to the state, the uh, fairness dictates that uh, kudos where Kudos are due, and here the vice president and the president responded very quickly. Uh, so I want to thank them for that. That's right. Balls and strikes. No time for games, no time for nonsense here. 
And so I appreciate the Governor Cuomo's being an adult about this. Governor Newsom of California has been an adult about this. These are these are super libs who usually I'd be fighting tooth and nail on policy issues. Too much at stake here. Too important to get this right. They should be praised for doing what's right, saying what they should be saying under the circumstances. And so that's where we are. Now let's talk about CDC and testing. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So we've been told from the beginning by people, especially those who want to criticize the administration at every opportunity, listen to the experts, listen to the experts. Where's the CDC? Where's the NSC pandemic office? And I've been telling you because I actually know something about the NSC because I'm ex-CIA and I used to deal with the NSC on a regular basis. Uh, I mean, I had friends at the NSC. In fact, one of my friends from the NSC is now a Fox News host. So, you know, or correspondent. Uh, so, you know, I, I go I go way back from the NS at the NSC. Um, the story that we've we've heard is that somehow Trump is responsible for the lag in testing, that they weren't taking this seriously. So there was lag in testing. That's just not true. Trump turned around and said, OK, CDC, let's go. World Health Organization. And this is from The Washington Post doing a, a, a story, an investigative story on what happened with the testing levels, because, I mean, it is it is an abomination how slow they were getting those tests out and. I'm going to move to the whole where are we with respirators, masks and all these things. We are the most mighty economic engine the world has ever seen. You're going to tell me we can't get enough masks for people that are in hospitals for our doctors and nurses. Oh, I'm sitting around with a with, you know, a supercomputer in my hand and, and I feel like I could order 10 more than they'd be here tomorrow. We can't get enough surgical masks done. This is a reminder. There's a lot of time for the politics here. I'm going to try to limit my discussions of them. But China, China makes most of our antibiotics, makes most of our medical devices. We really think that's a great idea, huh? Now we're seeing it's not such a great idea, just like we're also seeing with Canada locking down its borders, that borders are real and it's not racist to have borders. No, no, it's sane to have borders. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And healthcare workers around America can be absolutely certain that the president and our entire team are going to continue to put the health of America first and put first our healthcare workers across this country that are meeting the needs of the people of our country. We got to get the masks. We got to give them ventilators. We got to make sure they have the tools they need to do the job and the tools they need to stay safe. A big part of understanding this in the early days was testing. What went wrong with testing? The CDC. The CDC has in place plans for pandemics, and that's irrespective of who the president is. That's just the way, the nature of that seven billion dollar a year federal agency. There's also the NIH, the National Institutes of Health. You have these federal government and, and they exist for this for now. And they exist so that we could get testing done quickly so we could better react to and respond to hotspots of Wuhan virus. And this is now a moment in time where we say, what exactly happened here? The CDC was slow. The CDC was slow because they have all these regulations and they have to approve things for labs. And there was some mistake in the design of their test. And then there was a problem in the manufacturing and the CDC messed up. Now, we don't have too much time to sit around and trying to kick the CDC because guess what? We need them. 
But this would be something like if the president said, all right, let's call in an airstrike. And he says, you know, let's fire a bunch of Tomahawk missiles uh, from a bunch of uh, cruisers that we've got. You know, let, let's fire off Tomahawk missiles. And the Navy goes, OK, here we go. And they fire them. And then they all just go about 50 feet and they land in the ocean because there was a design flaw because, you know, Lockheed or Raytheon or whoever makes Tomahawk missiles. I don't even know. Uh, didn't design them properly. That's not on the president. No, you know, we, we have is very, very expensive. Now, of course, our, our military is one of the few things our federal government gets right. But, you know, this is what happened. The CDC messed up and the CDC had all these regulations in place and all these other labs were saying, OK, well, we can do this test. And the CDC said, oh, no, uh, we got to make sure that it's safe before you can do it. Or, you know, we got to make sure that it fits with the regulations, whatever. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. So this is, um, you know, this is where the, the, the truth does matter. And the truth is that the CDC fell down on the job here and everybody knows. But you're going to be lied to about that. They're going to lie to you about this one. Guaranteed. They're going to say that this is uh, for, for political reasons. They're going to claim that Trump wasn't taking it seriously, that the lack of testing from the CDC was uh, or lack of testing that was possible was the administration's fault. When in reality, the reason there weren't the tests that there should have been in the time period that they should have had them uh, was because the CDC messed up. And that's what that's what was going down. That's what was really happening here. So let's just understand that. Let's be clear about that. Now, there are elections that are supposed to take place today for the primary. You have the following story. Ohio Supreme Court allows delay to election primary. This is pretty crazy. Early Tuesday, the Ohio Supreme Court denied a legal challenge to the state delaying the primary. A candidate in Wood County had filed the action Monday alleging the delay of the primary violated election laws. Only four justices participated in the ruling, which was issued without an opinion. After the court ordered the state to respond by 1.30 a.m., other states quickly filed the motion to dismiss... The justices cast their votes before 4 a.m. So, you know, I I guess we are not going to have a a Democrat primary today. I'm trying to figure out what exactly is going on here. I mean, you have the following states um, that are that are involved in this. You have. Let's see. Voters in three states are going to head are going to head to the polls today. I mean, look, no one's been paying attention to this even. Ohio has postponed, but Arizona, Florida and Illinois have people heading to the polls today despite the coronavirus pandemic. And, you know, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine uh, announced that the polls would not open despite a judge's ruling that the election must go on. So, you know, this is going to start affecting (laughs) You know where this is going, right? I think we all understand this right off the bat. Um, they're going to say, the, the libs, the Democrats, I know this is getting a few steps ahead of where we are. If the Democrat doesn't end up winning, they're going to say the election's illegitimate. Oh, it's already, you can count on it right now. You can count on it being the final narrative if Trump wins re-election. Oh, the primary was messed up because of the pandemic, and they're going to say that Republicans you know, exerted influence on it in some way, or even though these are decisions being made by Democrats. It's kind of like when we hear all about the sexism of not electing Elizabeth Warren, not just president, but not electing Elizabeth Warren as the candidate for the Democrats. And I sit here, I'm like, 
60% of Democrat voters are women. Democrats are the ones voting in their primary. They didn't elect Elizabeth Warren. Why am I being lectured about sexism as a Republican? That doesn't really, that doesn't really make much sense. I don't really get that. I don't really agree with that one. So, oh, but Elizabeth Warren's still out there playing politics at this moment in time. Play clip five. No, I think that it was absolutely irresponsible of the Senate leader to do that. He ultimately called everyone in for a vote tonight, a vote that did not occur because he worked out a deal. He had a problem in his own party, a deal that could have been worked out last week. And we have still not moved forward on the coronavirus bill. This makes no sense at all. It's as if he has no sense of urgency about this problem and no sense of what to do. You know, you started this by asking me, do I feel better that Trump has at least admitted that there's a problem? Sure, but it's time to act. We should have been acting months ago. And if that message still has not arrived with the president or with Mitch McConnell, then we're in real trouble. What were the Democrats doing two, three months ago? Does anybody does anybody remember what the Democrats were completely focused on? December. January, what were they, what were they really, I feel like they're, oh, that's right, they're psycho sham impeachment of the President of the United States. In fact, they were going through that impeachment proceeding, oh, gee, Mitt Romney showing us how strong he is for America. They were going through that while the President was calling together a task force to deal with coronavirus, and I remember CNN, among other places, ridiculing the president while he was being impeached for just nothing. I mean, the whole thing was a preposterous joke, a disgrace to constitutional powers and separation of power. The whole thing was just appalling and so dumb. But they were mad at the president because the coronavirus task force wasn't diverse enough. Oh, that's what they were really worried about. This is this is bad news, my friends. So let's not if we're going to start playing the point fingers and blame game. Let's be honest about what was really happening. The president blocked flights from China. Probably should have blocked flights from Europe, too. But we didn't know how bad it was going to be in Europe. Uh, The president blocked flights in China when he was told that that was, you know, a bad thing to do and shouldn't do it. And now we realize that definitely helped us out tremendously with this pandemic. The president's done everything that he realistically can do up to this point and is doing what the experts have been telling him to do. And now you get Democrats that want to blame not just Trump, but also and act like he wasn't taking this seriously. How is he not taking it seriously by trying to keep people calm while they're making maneuvers behind the scenes to deal with the crisis? It's it's absurd. I mean, you've got journalists that think that when the president says, you know, look, we, we've got it. Under, we, we've got this under control. He doesn't mean that the virus is gone and we don't have to worry about it. He's saying we're doing everything we can. We have our end of the situation under control. But journalists make him uh, make him explain that because they're so obsessed with it. Trump lies. Trump lies. Even now, even when people are really worried, even when we're wondering if mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, you know, you're you're anybody in your life who's or and those of you who are in the high. I know a lot of you listening to this now are over 60 or over 70 and you're worried. And I understand why you're worried. And I want to do everything I can to spread the word, to give the best information possible and 
encourage government officials to make the smartest decisions possible because I want all of us to come through this okay. And part of that, by the way, is also not even ending up in the ICU with a tube down your throat. And people keep talking about the mortality rate. Being in the ICU for two or three months is going to be a horrible and traumatic experience. We want to avoid people getting this who can have complications and younger people. And there's going to be more and more stories about this. There are people in their 20s and 30s who get this and they're in really bad shape. There are people who get I mean, I I remember uh, uh, Bree Payton from The Federalist. She got H1N1. And she she was uh, she was an amazing young woman, and I used to do work with her at, at the Hill, and she was a writer at the Federalist. She was gone because she got H one M one. She was gone in twenty four hours. Young, healthy, amazing woman, gone. So that was a less dangerous disease than this. Now most people get H one M one and don't die. Most people will get this and don't die. But just because you're young and healthy doesn't mean that this is something that you can. You never know how your immune system is going to respond to this. You never know what the reality is going to be. So we just got to keep that in mind, man. You know, we've got we got some tough weeks ahead. Keep your keep your shields high. Keep your head on a swivel. Stay frosty. We're going to be all right. But man, it's, it's going You're to be in the freedom life. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right. We also need to look at the the lighter side of this. Sometimes this is a nurse from Tennessee who I don't know if she listens to the Buck Sexton show, but we have the same feeling when it comes to the credit card pad that you have to push, 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 write the little signature, push, push, push. It's like the last thing you want to be doing as a pandemic is touching that little pad that everyone's been touching all day. You know, rubs their nose, touches the pad, rubs their mouth, touches the pad, sneezes on their hand, touches the pad. This is a nurse in Tennessee who spoke for many of us, myself included, when she went to the grocery store recently. Play clip one. And up until today, I have managed to not ever have to do a rant video on Facebook, but apparently today is my day. Um, Just left the grocery store, and as we all know, the coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever we're calling it this week, has driven people completely insane. And the woman in line in front of me, just apropos of nothing, just starts shrieking at the poor little guy ringing her up that he has just touched his face and that he therefore must wash his hands just shrieking this to the top of her lungs. So I'm assuming she surely to God must be the head of the CDC because she says it was such conviction. And by the way, lady, it's you're not supposed to touch your face. Doesn't really matter so much if he touches his. Um, I digress. The little guy says, I can't wash my hands right now. She says, I'll wait. Great. Well, I'll wait, I guess, lady. He says, I have hand sanitizer. So he takes like a quarter of a little squirt, does his little thing on his hands for about a quarter of a second, which basically would have just served to inside a riot and maybe kill off two small, weak germs, to which the head of the CDC in her kitten-covered lab coat nods and fervently agrees that he's, you know, saved the universe with that. He kind of refrains from rolling his eyes, which I think makes him a saint. And then she goes on <laughs> to whip out her credit card and use the debit pad that every finger-licking, booger-picking, double-digit IQ idiot has touched all day long after going to the bathroom and not washing their hands. And then she just walks on out with her groceries. Who does she sound like when it comes to the credit card pad? This is a nurse, a healthcare practitioner. What have I been telling you? I don't know, maybe she's part of Team Buck. Maybe she listens to the show. 
or she just knows what I know and all of you know when you think about it, that credit card pad is like a germ hotel. That credit card pad is sitting there like, please touch me so I can make you sick. And yet, at this time, when we have all these precautions and all these things, shelter in place, economies crumbling, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Not you, Tallulah, you're cool. Uh, with all that going on, we still have to touch that stupid OK button like three times and then use the little, I don't know what you call it, the little plastic pen thing. <sighs> and she goes on to tell us her final thoughts on this one. But you see, we're aligned on this. Play clip two. I can't hear Completely oblivious to the fact that everyone who handled those groceries prior to her getting them has left their little touch and trace of germs all over them. That going down the conveyor belt, they probably picked up chicken juice and everything else. But thank God that kid used that quarter of a squirt of Purell. She has saved the day and kept us all safe from the coronavirus. Y'all... It doesn't matter what we do. There's so many stupid people in this world. We're never going to survive anyway. So touch your face. Just just touch it. Just touch it. It's all that's left. A little bit of gallows humor, my friends. We need that these days. We need to be able to also laugh at our situation. That's why when people call it the Wu flu or the Kung flu or the Wuhan virus or the COVID-19 or the SARS-CoV-2, which is the precursor virus before the infection which is COVID-19 with all these different things uh, we, we just need to be able to look at it and say we got it we're, we're gonna we're gonna be all right and make make fun of it sometimes if you can there, there are gonna be songs about this there are gonna be people who are gonna have to create humor in a very this is a very dark time there's no question about that but we need to be able to look at this and laugh a little bit. And I really appreciate what this nurse had to say about how just, I mean, everyone's so on edge. Everyone's so nervous about this. But at the same time, you know, there's only so much you can do. There's only so much you can do. I mean, if you go around and are terrified of germs or if you know enough about germs and realize the environments that we all live in, you're coming into contact with staph bacteria, you're coming to contact with MRSA, you're coming to contact with these things all the time, and you're usually fine, but like, maybe you're not, you know? Any of us can die on any given day for any number of reasons. And I, I'm not saying that we should have a fatalism like, well, it, does, it doesn't matter, you know, just go out there and start, you know, licking random doorknobs or something. It's a horrible idea. Uh, but I do mean that we just need to remember we're all on borrowed time, and we're all going to be okay, but we're also all going to die. Not from this virus, just in general. That's a, that's a true statement, all right? We, we all have limited time here. So enjoy yourself to the degree that you can. Enjoy your life right now, even though we're under quarantine and we have these difficulties and we have these challenges. Um, that's something that we should all remember, that there's just only so much you can do. Don't stress that much. And try to laugh. Try to laugh when you can. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Switching gears here from talking about the coronavirus, the Wuhan virus, I have to note that David Frum, who is considers himself highly erudite, I've dealt with him, and he's occasionally insightful and occasionally, occasionally, uh, a, a total bozo. I, I mean, it depends when you get him on certain subjects. He makes sense on other subjects. You're like, are, and he thinks he's brilliant on everything, which is the problem because he's not. 
He's going around telling people that no one calls it the Spanish flu anymore, which is interesting. He should probably reach out to the author of Pale Rider, The Spanish Flu of 1918, the title of the most well-known book on the subject, and say, hey, nobody calls it the Spanish flu anymore. What an imbecile. But there's a lot of that going around. People are fighting over stuff. And look, there's going to be a bit of a bit of tension over this. There are going to be people that are, are upset with each other. We're going to be dealing with a lot of short fuses. Here in, in New York City, there's some video circulating of, of uh, people in a, an apartment block yelling at people on the street to get inside, get inside, sh- flatten the curve. People who need to get air, all right? You can walk on the street, maintain your distance from people. You're not going to get sick, according to the CDC, if you keep more than you know 10 feet away from anybody and you're just outside in the air. Just don't touch anything. Don't walk around, let me touch all the door handles and let me wipe my face with them. Don't do that. And you should be okay if you go outside. If you're in the particularly high risk population, don't even take that. Don't even take that risk. Don't even do that. But, you know, or maybe if you're going to go outside, just make sure it's at a time when there's very limited people out on the street and you're not going to share an elevator ride with somebody and you're not, you know, things like that. Uh, but I told you that there was this other story and this is classic. Um, this is like the Friday before the long weekend uh, government document dump with the stuff that they don't want anyone to spend any time digging into, understanding, learning about. Uh, this is um, this is just amazing. You will recall some time ago uh, there was this story about the Mueller team indicting the uh, special counsel Robert Mueller from Fox News. Well, let me give you the backstory. They indicted Concord Management and Consulting LLC and Concord Catering among three companies and 13 individuals charged in February of 2018 by Mueller. Their alleged criminal effort included social media postings and campaigns aimed at dividing American public opinion and sowing discord in the electorate, officials said, although no impact on voters was ever demonstrated. Um, So, you know... Some of us knew what this was right away. I tweeted the following out on February 16th of 2018 in response to the initial filing of this case. Mueller just indicted a bunch of Russians for setting up fake social media accounts and buying Facebook ads to say nasty things about Hillary online. That is what they did. Setting up fake Facebook accounts to say mean things about Hillary. And that was charged as interfering in our election and committing fraud against the United States government by these foreigners who were saying mean things about Hillary with Facebook accounts. That is what that is what was going on. By the way, Hugh Hewitt, who's supposed to be a constitutional conservative, sort of, and a constitutional scholar, responded to me. I didn't respond to him, but they responded to me this way. Um, Buck, the indictment is very clear. This isn't overreach in the least. Do you really think it's okay for a foreign government to do this? Well, Hugh, turns out that it was overreach. I was right. You, with a law degree who teaches constitutional law, I think, at Harvard or something, but I never went to law school, but I also worked in national security, so I know what's BS about this stuff and what's not. Turns out that the Mueller team dropped the whole thing. Whoopsie! Not even going to continue charging this in a striking. This is Fox News. Whoops. Sorry. Just dropped something in a striking and unexpected abandonment of a once heralded prosecution initiated by special counsel Mueller. um, 
this is I mean, this is stunning stuff. The Justice Department moved Monday to drop charges against two Russian companies that were accused of funding a social media meme campaign to further their, quote, strategic goal to sow discord in the U.S. political system, including the 2016 presidential election. Late Monday, with jury selection in the case set to begin in just two weeks, a federal judge granted the DOJ's motion to kill the prosecution for several counts of conspiring to defraud U.S. agencies tasked with combating election interference. The government acknowledged the Russian companies were never likely to actually face punishment anyway and cited possible national security risks with going forward to trial. Oh, so the whole thing, why'd they even file it? They didn't find out anything new. Oh, the national security risks. Yeah, right. Of what? The Russian troll farms? This stuff would all have been done on the unclassified internet. Why, why can't they bring this case? It was so bad. This is astonishing. Of the 13 Russians and three Russian companies charged by Mueller in the social media disinformation effort, Concord was the sole defendant to enter an appearance in Washington's federal court and contest the allegations. Mueller's 37-page indictment said that the actions detailed by prosecutors date back to 2014. President uh, Mueller later brought separate charges against other entities related to the hack of Democrat emails. President Trump noted that no Russian collusion with his campaign was ever proven, etc., etc. Various media outlets hyped the indictment with NPR calling the Russian activities a, quote, attack on democracy. All right, let's just unpack this together for a second, shall we? This indictment was supposed to be our, our Mueller, brave Mueller team and prosecutors striking back at Russia, attacking our democracy by having Facebook accounts say mean things about Hillary Clinton online. That's, that's really, that is the charge. That's what they're talking about. Election interference. And it's an attack on our democracy, yet they won't even proceed with this in federal court. Why? And, oh, also... Why are they dropping this right now? Why are they going? Why'd they go to this point and then wait for the perfect moment to just say, oh, yeah, that whole case, not going to be a case anymore. The Mueller prosecution, the whole Mueller uh, investigation, which was really run by Weissman, was a fraud, an abject fraud, a disgrace to the country. It was all about Russia, Trump insanity. It was all about giving the media something to chew on. You don't drag people into federal court. I don't care what country they're from or who they work for. You, you don't drag them into federal court and, and try to make a case that by saying mean things on Facebook about a political candidate, they have attacked your very system of government. Anyone understands this if they think about it, but that was with the Mueller team. Oh, no, it's an attack on our democracy. Yeah, it's so important that they don't even go forward with the case. After two years, two years, they kept this thing going. They just figured out now that it might not work. They just figured out now the national security risks. No, but they had to feed this into the system. Yes, we've indicted those Russians who meddled in our democracy. We've indicted those Russians who were doing terrible things that attacked our very system of government. We're going to bring them to justice. No, they're not. They were never going to was never going to happen. So why did they allow this to continue for two years? My friends, we see the truth of this. 
I tell you that no one can predict the future. I have I have been right about Russia collusion and Ukraine phone call impeachment, all this stuff every step of the way, because I see it for what it is. It's not because I can predict the future. It's because I understand the present. I know what's really going on. I understand these political dynamics. I know what's real in the national security field and what's not because I used to work in it. I know who the clowns are. I know who the serious people are. And this Mueller team, the fact that Jeff Sessions let this thing go, I, I understand why the president, even though I, I like Jeff Sessions, think he's a good man. I understand why the president wants his primary opponent to beat him in Alabama. I, I get it. Sessions allowed this whole, this just wild beast of the Mueller probe loose on the Trump administration. Think about how much even more prosperous, even more prepared for the future, not just this pandemic, but for the future in general, the uh, administration could be if they hadn't had to spend all this time and energy on just lunacy, this absurdity of the uh, Russia collusion narrative and all this other stuff. It was absolutely nuts from the very beginning, and yet they made us suffer through this for over two years, the country. Well, I was telling you, many of you know this, I was saying... Uh, catastrophe sells, but I'm telling you, things are good now. Enjoy it. Things are good now. Enjoy it. You know, those of you who've been listening to me for even just the last year, I had times where I said, my friends, this is enjoy this country. This might be the best it's ever been. And I was telling you to enjoy it because I knew it wasn't going to last. And now we're in another phase. So, you know, we've been together through the best of times. We're about to go through some difficult times together, team. And that's where we're at. That's where things are. But with uh, this Russia, this Russia nonsense, it's exactly as I thought. They dropped this when everyone's paying attention to other things. The whole charge was ridiculous. It was absurd overreach. They were never actually going to bring any of these people into court. And they knew that. So why charge them? What was the point? It was all narrative building. It was all BS. I was right. They were wrong. No surprise there. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Who do you want to turn to at this time for personal advice about how to get ready for the future? Well, I got a good buddy who has some thoughts on this one. Brandon Webb, he's a former Navy SEAL. He was a sniper instructor, actually created the Navy SEAL Sniper School. He's now the CEO of Soft Rep Media, and he's got a book out, Coronavirus, How to Prepare, that you can now get on, uh, on Apple on uh, on amazon brandon my friend great to have you back hey buck good to be back as always so all right man what what should people know about their own personal preparations for what we're going through so you know i was as you know i've, I've been at this course at harvard business school and when the corona i was there end of february and when corona started to take off um in china and and i put out an article almost almost a month ago on just how to, how to think about being prepared. And this is something that most Americans should just plan for regardless of the situation we find ourselves in right now is just having the basics at home in case of any type of natural disaster um, or pandemic like we're seeing now. And it, it's just being, you know, better prepared. And I remember, you know, my friends in New York kind of, giving me a hard time like oh do i really need to to go stock up on the, just this basic stuff like water and cleaning household cleaning items uh, toilet paper stuff like this and of course when it became very real for america um you know things change right so 
you know, I'd written that article and that that's when me and the guys who write for softrep.com said, you know what, let's, let's see if we can put out a quick resource um, for people just because a lot of people are wondering like, what do I need to have at home? You know, as far as first aid, uh, food, water, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, we wrote the book in a week and, you know, it's, it's a short ebook, but it, it has really useful information. And, and as well as we covered some of the other um, more important news um, aspects of this, like the fact that, you know, China, China um, you know, it's going to be interesting because China, it looks like, had this virus in the laboratory and accidentally let it out. Uh, that's what Wait, you actually think you, you, you subscribe to that theory? I've brought that up on the show. I haven't seen evidence for that. You think that this came out of yeah. the lab? I talked to a really good friend of mine who was a tier one operator and worked with the NSA. And I mean, it's no secret that the chemical or biological warfare lab in China is in yeah the Wuhan Virology Institute, and they've lost viruses before, so yeah. that's yeah that that is established. Yeah. And the fact that they immediately are kind of trying to point the finger at the U.S. Army, because uh, I think you know in night whatever it was 1918, the Spanish flu uh, did originate out of an army base in the U.S. But this. You know, I, I think, you know, it's to be continued, but I, I from what I've heard, I, I think that it's, you know, the possibility is, is extremely strong that this is something that the Chinese let get out of hand by probably by accident. God forbid, you know, if, if they were trying to, to release this. Right. Well, I mean, it hit their own population. So you got to figure that they that that yeah. even for the Chinese Communist Party is not a move they would make. Yeah, well, what I heard was, you know, talking to my my friends, um, one of who, which worked at the NSA, was that this was potentially designed to kind of quell the uh, Hong Kong uprising, right? You can imagine, you know, you release this locally and what it does. But it's just, you know, it's terrible to think about, but, you know, the reality is it's, it's, it's a possibility. So well, I mean, there are countries, and China's one of them, that do have... I mean, I haven't heard any of this stuff that you're telling me you've heard from some of your, but, you know, you're a guy that does know tier one operators and people that are in the intelligence community. And but I can just say that there are countries, Russia, China, you know, the U.S., we do research on it. I don't think we're trying to weaponize it, but weaponized, uh, you know, or bioweapons rather and and weaponized research on this is occurring in countries. That is a that is a reality. We know that. Yeah, without a doubt. So um, and, and look, I'm I came to. Um, Moscow for a, a business uh, conference and I, I'm here now stuck but seeing you know just how the flow of information is very restricted um, in a country like Russia when you Wait, are you in Moscow like, right now just today yeah, yeah I'm here oh I didn't realize you're coming to us from Moscow I thought you're here in New York with me yeah no no I'm in Moscow so it's eight eight o'clock at night here so um, it, it, it's very interesting, and, and I'm grateful to live in a country like America where um, you know, we do have access to at least uh, information, um, much more so than in a country like Russia. Because just today, Buck, I saw people um, like putting on masks and like really taking it seriously because it, the situation in Russia was like, well, the rest of the world has it, we don't. But the fact is, um, even the Moscow Times uh, said today that, you know, there's there's over 100 cases that they're reporting. And it, and it looks like 100 is about the 
the point where it's a tipping point where you really can't rein this thing in anymore. So I think Russia is going to have to deal with their own. All right, Brandon, give me two things that people give me two things that aren't obvious that you talk about in the book in terms of preparation. We only got about a minute. Yeah, I mean, first aid, some type of household first aid, even basic stuff, um, especially if you're dealing with a self-quarantine is is extremely important. Um, Water filtration, you know, if you're in a situation where, you know, you don't have clean uh, water available and you and you do have to use water out of the faucet some type of tablet or, or filtration device is, is super important and then you know the food i can uh i can deal without the paper towels and toilet paper but, but those are kind of the big important items um, but anyone who subscribes to the site um soft rep can get the ebook for free uh, we're also giving it away it's it's two ninety nine, um, but if people can't afford it, um, they can write us in. We'll give them the book for free. So we're just trying to be trying to be a useful source of information during all this. Yeah, let, let, let me know. Let, let's bring you back in in a week or two because I want to hear how things are going in Moscow. If you're still there, man, we want you back stateside. But you know, don't worry. I'll, I'll call some of our old mutual friends if I have to. We'll get you brought back here if need be. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. But yeah. if you're still in Moscow, I want to hear how things are going over there because they're just at the very beginning of dealing with this crisis. Yeah, I'm taking notes, and I've got some friends here in the business community, so glad right. to come back. And Former Navy SEAL and CEO of Soft Rep Media, Brandon Webb. Brandon, my friend, stay safe. We'll talk soon. Thanks, bud. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for Roll Call. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call, everybody. And if you hear some snorting, that's not me. I'm fine. I'm healthy for now. Thank God. It's, uh, it's Tallulah, the family French bulldog that I've taken off my parents' hands for the time being, who is uh, sitting in my lap. Those of you that watch on Pluto TV can see her. She is, uh, she is reminiscent of a baby seal, which my mom says I can't call her that because it might hurt her self-esteem. But she does look like one of those baby seals on the Arctic tundra that's trying to avoid polar bears because she is a very well, well-fed well French bulldog. Um, but I want to get to your comments and uh, your thoughts. That's why we're getting into the roll call. So with that in mind, remember facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or teambuck at iheartmedia.com if you want to email. I'm talking to Bruce or Mark. We might just, hey, Mark, I got an idea. There must be some like online answering service that people, maybe not. It just seems like something that might exist. We should do some investigating couldn't people couldn't we just set up a digital voicemail box for ourselves that people could call into during this time i can look into it i I would ask the tech people but they're a little swamped at the moment yeah no they're trying to like keep shows on the air so that's why i don't want to bother them with it i'm thinking if anyone has any ideas out there how about this i'll crowdsource this to the team what's the best way that we could do easy audio call-in so people could leave messages for the show you know share their thoughts i'll answer their questions that way I, i think that would be a great thing for us to do especially in this time I, want, I literally want to hear the voices of the team. So yeah, sounds like a lot of a lot more work for me. Thanks, Buck. Hey, producer Great. Mark. You know, I mean, you're you're you, dude. You're a beast when it comes to the work. You know what I mean? You handle any load we give you, uh, and I handle a lot of it. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true, actually. All right, everybody, here we go. We got Duran first up in roll call. Buck, great show. You said on the fi- uh, Friday podcast about an alternative for toilet paper. 
The answer is baby wipes. Oh, wow. Who knew? Make, made the switch years ago and would never go back. Shields high. So I am familiar with this wipes situation. I do know, however, that the wipes can be um, a problem for sewage systems. They make flushable wipes. Even those, producer Mark. Oh. It's not that they get stuck in the, although you're correct, the flushable ones mean that your plumbing won't be messed up. But even the flushable ones uh, get stuck in the, they, they create something called a fatberg because they consolidate and they will stick together in the actual sewage system. And like in London, for example, they have some, I think it's like, you know, 20 or 30 feet across or something, this giant thing of wipes because they use them there. I'm serious. It's called a fatberg. You can look it up. It's disgusting. It's the grossest thing yeah. you'll ever see in your life. That sounds it's awful. A, yeah, it's a real thing. Tallulah, you don't like fatbergs, right? No, she's licking my arm right now. But the good news is dogs don't have coronavirus. So we're fine. Right? We're fine in here right now. Yeah, she's she's hanging out for her. It's just like as long as I get my walks and I get fed my fancy food, uh, Tallulah has no problems. This virus is great for dogs because people so? are home. Oh, yeah. They're where people are. Owners are home all the time. You're right. And I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, no, she's getting a lot of she's getting a lot of attention. Uh, she also I, I thought this was funny. I was a little worried about her this morning because she. Hey, hey, hey. No snorting in the microphone. I was a little worried about her this morning because she uh, was going. Sorry, if you hear, she's licking every like my hand. I don't know. She knows that she's on camera right now. Um, and, and she was pushing her food bowl around like headbutting it all over the floor of my kitchen. And I called my mom. I was like, what? What is that? I, I, I'm a little worried. She's she's like a little triceratops ramming her food bowl across the floor why would she do that and my mom goes oh that's because she doesn't like the mix you had of the wet food and the dry food so you have to redo her breakfast <laughs> that's for real so i had to redo her breakfast she was she was protesting that i did not give the proper mix of dry food and wet food in her bowl and so i had to redo it yeah that is That's one the, spoiled animal. Yeah, I was going to say, this is why if you get a French bulldog, you might as well put a little beret on them because this is how they act. You know, you get yourself like a, a lab or a Rottweiler or a Rhodesian Ridgeback or a Golden Retriever. And they're all like, oh, I just love being fed and I love everybody and I'm so nice. You get a Frenchie and the Frenchie's like, you must earn my love. You must work for it. You must give me the perfect food. You must give me everything I need or else I will not give you the kisses. That's how Tallulah rolls. All right, Ernest Buck, glad to hear in your list of alternative locations for the Freedom Hut, Austin was first. I moved here from Connecticut about four and a half years ago. I went back to see my son in NYC last year, and man, was that depressing. Not just seeing him fully assimilated in liberal groupthink, but the worn-out vibe of New York. Austin is way cool, and somehow everyone gets along despite the eclectic makeup. Plenty of room for you and producer Mark here. Producer, well, first of all, producer Mark, if if the Freedom Hut had to relocate, just forget about, you know, that Mrs. Mark Ariel has her own life and family here and everything else. And that I know this isn't just like a snap. But if we had to bounce on New York, do you have your your preferred second Freedom Hut location? Yeah. Any of the states that have no state income tax. Ah, So Florida would be yeah, up there. Absolutely. Texas. Texas has no income tax. And sure. Oh, yeah. Texas has no state. I didn't income know that. Tax. Oh, big time. Any I of those states are fine. I think also, um, all right, all right, Tallulah, all right, all right, she's being a baby. Now she goes on the ground. 
Um, I th I think you also have, although now she's probably going to bark at me and you know be, make a make a lot of noise because she knows I'm on I'm on the show. Um, I think that Nashville, no, no, uh, Tennessee also has very low state income tax. But anyway, so so you just you just want no state income tax. Yes, what is that's the, all I want. Do you know New Jersey's? I only ask if you know because then it's tax season and I've actually got to figure. out. I think New York is like eleven. New York plus New York City is something like eleven percent. I, I believe that New Jersey is lower than what I was paying in New York City. Because I was a Queens resident, but I'm not sure. And I, 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 now with all, I can't get a new license right now because I think the DMVs are closed. So I don't even know what to do about taxes next year. Luckily, that's a next year problem. Yeah, I, I'm wondering myself about getting my taxes done this year. Ernest, oh no, he already we already did Ernest. Zach, I was listening to you talk about how to refer to the Wuhan virus in your show, and today you mentioned Wu flu. I'd just like to point out you missed a perfect opportunity to call it Kung flu. Zach, uh, I did refer to it as Kung flu, or at least I said that that's what people are referring to it as. Um, there's the Wu flu, Wuhan virus. Uh, there's a lot of different names out there for this. And, you know, I think that people need to remember it's not disparaging any other culture or country. We're trying to we're just trying to put a little bit of take a little bit of the fear out of the virus. You know, this is why people name things the way they do and do things the way they do in this regard. Uh, Roseanne writes. Buck, fairly new listener, you mentioned that now the Wuhan virus is real because Tom Hanks has tested positive. I have to disagree. It was real before this. Mr. Hanks is just a man like anyone else. Just my thoughts. Well, Roseanne, I, I appreciate you writing in and it's welcome. It's great to have a new listener. Um, I wasn't saying it was real because Tom Hanks tested positive. What I said was it has become more real for some people because Tom Hanks has tested positive, meaning that now they think the thought process here would be that if somebody as famous and rich and influential as Tom Hanks can get this, anyone can get this. And so they would take it more seriously themselves. It's not I, I wasn't saying, oh, now Tom Hanks has this. So we have to take it seriously. I I, I honestly do not care about celebrities really at all. Uh, I don't even uh, I'm not impressed by celebrities Famous actors, famous politicians, famous and famous uh, musicians, athletes don't care. I mean, I respect some of them, what they do. Some of them I don't but don't care. So I'm glad we had that clarification. Roseanne, welcome to the team. CK. Hey, Buck, you know, the best part of all sports being canceled during this panic fest, the local hockey team games always preempted your show uh, broadcast delay here, 9 p.m. to midnight on WoWo, which really ticked me off. So for at least the next month or however long, I can listen to your wit and wisdom uninterrupted. Keep calm and carry on fearlessly in Fort Wayne. WoWo, cheers. Yeah, CK, thanks so much, man. I, I appreciate that I now have an additional opportunity to speak to some folks because talk radio is still going, still going strong, and it's in some ways more important than ever right now. And, you know, we do not have the same limitations you all listen to me virtually. So we are all safe and sound talking to each other, doing the show. No, you I, I can guarantee you this. You will not get Wuhan virus from listening to the Buck Sexton show. So that is a promise that I can make all of you. It will not fly into your ear. I know you all know that, but I'm just saying, Ed Buck, great analysis. I could never do it at one point five, though. Hmm, OK, Friday, while talking about AOC's comments to Brett Baer, you mentioned some well-known people who are Wuhan positive that may have had an easier time getting tested than common folk. I noticed two of them were in Australia, one was in Canada. Better health care, perhaps? I'm not a single payer guy, but our system is deeply flawed. Um, Ed, 
I, it's t- you know, you can't really judge a system based on one or two people getting one or two tests. There have been thousands and thousands of tests done in New York State alone now for coronavirus. So Wuhan virus, Wu flu, whatever you want to call it. So uh, I don't think that's really a fair comparison. And uh, look, I'd rather be in an American hospital. I'd rather be in a U.S. hospital with any disease than any other hospital anywhere else in the world. So I just I think that sort of speaks for itself. I mean, if someone says to you, this is life or death, what country you're going to be in the hospital in a country for a month? Where do you want it to be? Maybe some of you would say Sweden. Maybe some of you would say Switzerland or Australia. Fine. I would say America. And I'm somebody who is generally skeptical of much of the modern medical system um, because I've dealt with a lot of frustrating, a lot of, there's a lot of non-answers and a lot of billing from doctors I've gotten. A lot of non-answers and a lot of billing. That has been my experience, my personal experience with modern medicine. Uh, So there's that. Um, But yeah, I would choose America. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Carl writes, the last two days, it sounds like you're drinking the Kool-Aid, my friend. The current absurdity reminds me about the media's rants of body bag counts before Desert Storm or the hyperbole of Y2K. I think in two or three weeks, we'll look back and wonder why we're so worried about this. Now more than ever, shields high. Be careful and be well. Carl, I, look, I think we, we just disagree on, on the risk parameters or the, the uh, way we're willing to tolerate risk here. I agree that if in two or three weeks this thing isn't what they've told us it's going to be, then we got to make some dramatic, not just not changes so much as revert to normal. I'm only giving this thing two or three weeks and then I'm going to assess where we are. And then personally, I'm going to say, OK, uh, maybe. The, but given what we've seen in Italy and given what all of the experts, including Trump's experts, are saying now, I think we got to give it the two to three weeks. I think we have to do that. Uh, that just seems to me to be common sense at this point. So I, I don't really know how I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I've been a pretty calm voice about this all along, I think. Uh, I've been optimistic about it. Some have even criticized me for being maybe more optimistic than they think I should have been. Uh, but well, what's the alternative? We're going to risk spiking the cases right when the healthcare system is fragile and then have a lot of people that die that wouldn't have had to die if we had just had a little better preparation and a little bit less of a spike in time. I just I think that I think that the the experts that the Trump administration's pulled together, I think we give them the 15 days that they've asked for here. I think we give them those 15 days. I'm not giving them 50 days where where meaning that if, if I feel like this thing is not as out of control as we've been led to believe it can be. And, you know, we're all going to be assessing as we go through this. And ultimately, we we all do have to be the arbiters of our own personal risk. So. That's where we're at. Doug, Buck and Mark, relatively new fan of Mark's, but Buck, I've been a fan of yours since Red Eye and the Shaggin' Wagon. I got you three new listeners, and they love your show. Well, thank you so much, Doug. Most helpful thing you can do for us, especially during this time, guys. People are looking for, you know, new, new programs, new shows, new entertainment, you know, and if you're texting friends, emailing them, posting on your Facebook, please pass the buck. Tell them about this show. I don't think that there's a better radio show out there right now, especially given what's going on right now. Okay, other than Rush. But, you know, especially given what's going on right now in the country, I I think that this is uh, I think that this work that we're doing here matters. And I would love to share it with as many people as possible. And I really believe in what I do. I'm very confident in the product that Mark and I put out every day. 
and we have nothing but the best intentions and we couldn't put in any more effort and, and heart and soul into this for our listeners than we do. So please do pass the buck. Tell people about it. You're stuck at home. You're texting folks. You know, if they're going to tell you, hey, check out the boys on Amazon Prime. It's OK. I'm a little bit into it. I'll tell you more about that maybe tomorrow or later on in the week. Uh, be like, hey, have you listened to the Buck Sexton show? It's a great thing while you're cleaning up the apartment or just getting ready to make dinner or whatever it is you got going on. Listen to the Buck Sexton show. Uh, so, oh, he also wrote the virus comes from China and the economy takes a hit. The only way to really defeat Trump is if the economy tanks. Given what we know about China, do you think this is something that they wouldn't do just because they love civil rights too much? You know, guys, there's a lot of theories out there now. I, I need evidence for theories, and I don't have any evidence that China would be um, willing to. You know, I, mean, I know we just talked to Brandon. Look, Brandon is a SEAL with a lot of connections in the special operations community. It was a SEAL. A lot of connections in the special operations community. Knows a lot of people in the intel community, too. And he, he thinks that uh, there, there's more going on here with China than we've been led to believe so far. So we'll see. Um, I don't have it yet, though. I don't have the the information necessary to, to accelerate or, or to um, go deeper on that kind of a charge. Eric. Hey, Buck. Checking in from Team Buck, Minnesota. Oh, hey, Eric from Minnesota. Some super nice people in Minnesota. My fiance, my fiance and I are planning on getting married in two weeks. However, bars in the area are starting to close for a month due to the Wuhan virus. The governor might require it. This would mean our venue and caterer would be forced to cancel. What this means for our big day? Maybe looking for a new venue caterer. Might be looking for a new wedding date. Yet to be seen. What this means for the thousands of dollars we've spent and the year plus of planning? No clue. Like weddings aren't hard enough. Ha, until then, shield side. Eric, man, my heart goes out to you. I'm sure that's really challenging and difficult and annoying and frustrating. But ultimately, man, you found the woman you're going to spend the rest of your life with. You're going to get married. I'm sure you can start a beautiful family. And that's what that's what actually matters. I, I know everyone wants a beautiful picture, perfect wedding, but you found your life partner and God bless. And that's the most important thing. And you two will be together through thick and thin. You're starting out through thin, I guess, in a sense right now in terms of where the world is on coronavirus. But you'll be all right. And you found each other. And that's what really matters. So, uh. Nothing but the, the best to you two. God bless. And I hope that you manage to find a great way to do your wedding if it's postponed or maybe you just keep it to under 10 people. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not I'm not good at planning these kinds of things. Uh, team, I hope you've enjoyed the show today. I'm going to try to mix in even more non pandemic analysis and talk tomorrow because I know we're going to all get beaten down by that. But I, I we did a bit of a mix today. We'll have more tomorrow. I'm going to go tend to Tallulah now because she's running around my bedroom being a, being, you know, creating a mess. I was just digging through stuff in there. All right, everybody, shields high.